Hey, Parker. How are you today? Hi, Carrie. I'm good. How are you doing? Good. I'm off the road for a little bit, and you have been great this week because I think I've been sending you text and photographs from the woods like maybe every day. Well, you have been, in fact, and I've really loved seeing them and uh, hearing your reflections on them. Well, and you're also pretty good about them. some of them being sublime, you know, the beautiful trees, and then like, you know, maple seeds that kind of look a little bit like baby butts. <laughs> yeah, that one struck me. That one struck me. I, if you think I, think about I, it I, think I wrote back to you saying that that would not have occurred to Charles Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> you, you may be on the edge of a new science here. And speaking of Charles Darwin, welcome to the growing edge. I'm Parker Palmer. And I'm Carrie Newcomer. To the words and habit. To us and how we live between the words. Well, Parker, it's it's July, and I've been really looking forward to this podcast when we talk about the idea of abundance. Could could you say a bit more about that? Well, you know, in our part of the world, all you have to do is look around. July marks the beginning of summer, which is a green and generous season of abundant growth. And it becomes easy to believe in summer, unlike winter, that the growing edge is everywhere. So this month, we want to explore what it might mean to live into the fullness of life and its possibilities, rather than succumbing to the notion that we don't have enough of what a good life requires. We want to explore ways of getting beyond the feeling so prevalent in American culture that we have to go it alone and learn how to invest ourselves in relationships and communities of mutual support where resources of every sort, from spiritual to material, can be shared. So our question of the month for July is, what is your experience with living into the fullness of life What has helped you or might help you move beyond the fear of scarcity or loss, become more open to interdependence, to giving and receiving, and generate a sense of enoughness about yourself and the world? There's a lot in that question, isn't there, Carrie? And we might just remind listeners that um, they'll find the question written out on our our website, the Growing Edge website at newcomerpalmer.com. And they'll also find a place there to respond to it with their own words and thoughts. But I find it a fascinating question. And um, in, in many ways, it takes me back to my growing up years where I learned something about the complicated relationship, I think, between abundance and scarcity in, in our culture. So I grew up, to tell a brief version of the story, in a pretty affluent community. Uh, there, there wasn't anybody in that community that didn't have a bank account full of money or a larder full of food, as it were. Everybody was, was well taken care of. And, and yet, as I grew into my teenage years, even, even at that young age, I started noticing that nobody felt as if they had enough. And they continued to work um, hard and long and often to their own uh, detriment at, at jobs that would generate more money and more food and more furniture and a bigger house. And I, I really tried, even as a teenager, 
to understand what is this all about? People who have more than enough to live on in material terms, which is often what we mean by abundance, and yet they don't feel they have enough at all. And what I realized is that that their sense of scarcity was was really around the absence of community in their lives. Mm. They they because they weren't there for one another because everyone was trying to protect his or her private stock and store and take care of of uh, themselves primarily. Um, they had no confidence that anyone would be there for them in their hour of need. Hmm. Um, and you know, one of the lessons that some of us have learned when we have visited um, cultures of less material abundance is that there's a strong sense of community that you often find there where, where people rest assured that folks will be there for them in their hour of need. We don't have much of that in our society. So that sort of flipped the whole abundance scarcity thing for me. I began to understand that the the human question of, of do I have enough is never answered by stuff, never answered in material terms. It, it's it's really a spiritual question. Uh, it's, it's a question of of meaning and it's a question of community and and of a sense of of, of mutual support uh, and interdependence you know I, i've said before that i i want to declare july 5th the day after independence day as interdependence uh, day i love that because i i think that that's something that we that we need to lead uh, we need to learn more about and it has a lot to do with this question of scarcity and abundance. Yeah, and you know, I think in our in our question, we in, in some ways kind of open up that idea of, of what is abundance, and because sometimes abundance gets really linked to uh, material things in the world, but but living into the fullness of life, what what mm-hmm. really constitutes a full life, you know, and so often that has. You know, or most, I think kind of always it has very little to do with, with, as you said, the stuff. You can have a bigger house and yet have a smaller life. And so, so, so yeah, I think this question is, is really, um, you know, it goes deep. I think it's a spiritual question. And I think it's a, a really important question right now. This idea of interdependence and community, that the community not only creates abundance, it is abundance, um, mm-hmm. but so often, you know, we live in a culture where we're supposed to be the lone ranger. You know, we're, I mean, that 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 the the story of uh, the rugged individualist. You know, that that's really goes deep in our culture that we're not supposed to ask for help, and if we ask for help, or if we're dependent upon one another, you know, that is a sign of weakness instead of what it really is is a. Um, a sign of a fuller, more vibrant life, a more interdependent life, a life of more abundance, really. I mean, yeah, isn't it, isn't it odd? Isn't it odd when you think about it that, that there's a weakness associated with reaching out for help? Uh, yeah. We, we don't, I think 
in this culture, we, we give a lot more easily than we receive. I mean, it's, it's famously known among people who study the figures on philanthropy that America is, is a more philanthropic nation by a factor of five, six, or seven than the next most philanthropic huh. nation on the I planet. I didn't know that. You were, we're, we're an enormously generous people <clears throat> in all kinds of ways. And yet, uh, receiving is is hard because, as you said, it, it's taken as a sign of weakness. And and in a way, that's that's saying that, that to be in community is a sign of, of weakness because community is all about giving and receiving. It's a it's a two way street. It, it it is actually destroyed when one person tries to be, you know, lady bountiful, as the the old phrase goes and do all the giving. Yeah. Um, it's, mm-hmm. It has to be a set of relationships in which mutual care is manifested. I actually lived in a community like that for 11 years, an intentional Quaker community. Yeah, Pendle um, Hill. At an adult study center called Pendle Hill, exactly. And you know, everybody there, just a quick example, made the same base salary. Um, no matter what your position, no matter what credentials you had, no matter how long you'd been on the job. Uh, as dean of studies in 1975, I made $2,400 a year plus room and board. That was exactly the same salary that an 18-year-old who came to cook in the kitchen or work in the garden made mm. um, to spend a few years there trying yeah. to figure out what to do next with his or her life. And what I what I found there was was that that created a radical equality among human beings. You stopped looking at people yes. in terms of how much money they made or what kind of power they had or what position they held. And you started looking at everyone simply in terms of their intrinsic worth as, as people. And when they spoke in a decision-making meeting, a community meeting, you weren't listening, especially closely to those who had positions of power or those who made more money because there weren't any in our community. You were listening to the content of what they said and you were you were deciding whether it stood on its own two feet or not. Uh, so uh, I found that being vulnerable, and I think that's a word that maybe comes in here um, somewhere, being, being vulnerable to to the act of receiving as well as generous in the act of giving yes. just brings all kinds of benefits with it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, what you just said about, you know, how everyone in the community began to be uh, viewed and uh, experienced for their, their intrinsic worth as a human being. And also, did it happen in that community where you also began to really appreciate each other's individual gifts? Because people had really different kinds of individual gifts that they contributed to the community. It wasn't all one kind of person. Very much so. Yeah, that's a very perceptive question because, you know, the person who wasn't too good in the kitchen, um, I would be a classic example of that. They never let me help <laughs> prepare meals for fear that the health department would shut us down. But I was okay in the classroom, you know, as a teacher and a learner. And and so you began to realize, oh, this person who is kind of quiet in the classroom and doesn't contribute much is brilliant in the kitchen or in the garden or in the wood shop or in the administrative uh, offices. 
Um, and that was a huge lesson, as you, as you say, about the diversity of gifts that people bring and, and contribute. And, and there are so many people in our society who feel like the gifts they bring aren't honored, um, yeah. aren't valued. And, um, and there's such, I mean, everyone contributes their own kind of brilliance. You know, I've never met a person yet who didn't have some incredible gift. Now, it may or may not be the kind of gift, you know, in our culture, certain kinds of gifts, you know, get marked on the chalkboard at the top. You know, it's like if you have a gift for uh, surgery, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. if you mm -hmm. have a gift for being um, a lawyer. I mean, there's certain kinds of gifts that get kind of lifted up in our culture. Um, and being an incredibly good listener, the person who is so fine in the garden, or you want them. You want to have the food that they prepared because they prepared it brilliantly and with so much right. of themselves in it. You know, it's like this idea that, you know, everyone contributes something of really great importance and, and great worth. And I think that's another way that community is abundance, that community is about, you know, the fullness, living into the fullness of not just life, but who you are and and the the brilliance, the gift that you have to give. Just just yesterday, I'm I'm now recalling that we had in our home a really really gifted uh, guy when it comes to working with wood and various forms of construction. He makes stuff mm -hmm. with the hands of a genius. Mm -hmm. And we were talking about a job that needed being needed to be done in our home, and he's the guy we trust to do it. And Toward the end of our conversation, he said, you know, I really appreciate the fact that you have such respect for folks like me who work with their hands, because that's really being lost in our culture. And yeah. a lot of us mm -hmm. feel that we're marginalized and not honored and valued. And a lot of young people who could do this work wonderfully well and, and get a lot of satisfaction from it are being discouraged yeah. from, from coming into the work by that by that lack of appreciation. Yeah. And I was able to say for him to him, well that runs very deep in me because mo both of my grandfathers, my grandfathers were skilled craftsmen and I learned early on in life what extraordinary value they brought to the world. Yeah. What what I'm wondering about as we dig deeper into this subject Carrie is why it is that even even people with gifts that are honored and valued, like you, as you said, top shelf gifts as the culture sees them, so often feel that they are not enough, that they themselves are not enough. That's yeah. one of the deepest mysteries of life to me. So many people feel I'm not enough as a human being, I'm not enough as a parent, I'm not enough as a neighbor, I'm not enough as a friend. It's not just I don't have enough, it's that I'm not enough, which seems to me to be a very deep wound. That's, yeah, that's where we go from, you know, the, the concept of community into, into the personal, you know, and how the personal interacts with the community. You know, when you come into being in community, um, you, you know, you're bringing yourself in, and, you know, and, and yeah, I think, I think that there is a lot of, of that. I mean, you know, I've experienced that, you know, that some, somewhere I'm not enough. And that, uh, and then, and that also makes then that giving and receiving piece 
um, more difficult. It's like, gosh, you know, do I need to keep a ledger sheet of giving and receiving and so that I'm giving enough, you know, or I'm giving more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of those people who for the longest time had a really hard time receiving. Giving was not an issue. I, I loved giving. I, I got a lot out of giving. So it took me a while to know that, you know, giving and receiving are two sides of the same, actually not two sides of the same coin. They're just part of an integrated whole that mm-hmm. by receiving and receiving gracefully, you know, that becomes part of the integrated whole. Um, yeah. it, it allows someone else to have that, you know, what you, you, what you experience through the, the gift of giving, you know. So, but yeah, kind of going back to what you were saying about how the pushback personally, though, what is it that, that tells us that we're not enough, you know, we're not smart enough or wise enough or we don't have something that, you know, will assure us a place, you know, in the community, assure us a place in the world, you know? You know, I, I, I'm so interested in what you said about your own experience with giving and receiving, because I would affirm that you're one of the most generous people I've ever met. Uh-uh. I mean, I've, I've seen you do things both professionally and personally for other folks that um, just meant the ex- not just the extra mile, but the extra hundred miles. I've seen it time and time again. And uh, frankly, it's it's often made me feel like I'm not enough. But that's, oh yes, we, now we're going to go back and forth on that because yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I know. You're a I generous know, really soul, my friend. I I really don't mean or want to do that. But what I'm interested in is how, how did how did you start to come into a sense as a giver that you were also worthy of being a receiver that it was also okay to ask for help and for support of the very kind that you've given so many other people. I mean, it's often struck me that the most generous people I know are really not very good at giving (laughs) to themselves the same kind of lavish support they would instantly give another person who was in the same situation they were. How how did you begin to make that turn? You know, I I think partially because I had to. Sometimes, sometimes um, it takes a crisis, or it takes you've reached this point where uh, the way you've been doing it is not working. You know, like there's parts of it that's work that are working, but it's not all working anymore. And and that idea, you know, really taking to heart that idea to be as kind to myself as I want to be and try to be to other people. You know, I believe in kindness. I believe that kindness changes the world. It's it's such a powerful force, that little bit of kindness, daily kindness. And I, I try to live that every day. But if I were to try to give that to myself, I spent a lot of years being pretty unkind to myself. Um, expectation, a little bit of, okay, I'm a songwriter who really likes language which perfectionism can be a really great <laughs> like tool when you're honing in on language in a way like that, but can kind of be a problem when you're applying it to yourself as a whole. You know, it's like mm. 
that I would hold myself to a standard that I would not hold another human being. And it took, it took some time of really, you know, looking at that and looking at it with a really clear eye that, that uh, if I believe, if I really believe in the power of this kind of spirit in the world and kindness, I really need to learn to give it to myself. It's time. It's time that mm-hmm. I do that. Um, but it was a, you know, like I said, kind of a real turning point. I think Jung said that um, the first part of your life is is all about where do I fit in the world, where do I fit in the world, where do I fit in the world? And then the second half of your life is how do I fit with my soul? Something shifts about midway through. And that can, for a lot of people, you know, I think they call it midlife crisis and they kind of make it kind of a cliche. But what it is is that the shifting of your focus to how do I fit with my own soul? And when I find that out, when I really go there with that and explore that and learn some of the things I need to learn there, then how do I fit in the world? How does that, how does that interact with the world? Yeah. So your, your, your story really, I think, illustrates the point that not only necessity, but desperation is the mother of invention. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you said this... Yeah. You said you reached a point where you realized that your way of being in the world just wasn't working for you, no matter how well it may have been working for other people, because it, you know, it is possible to live a life that serves other people very well, but yep. doesn't serve the server, doesn't serve us. But I think, I think there's an act of courage in there, and I'm wondering if you would agree with that word, an act of courage in this perfectionist culture. And I'm glad you introduced that word into the conversation because it very much belongs. In this perfectionist culture, it's an act of courage to say, this thing I'm doing is not working for me. My life is not in good shape. Um, I, I, I need some help. I need to sort this out. I, I need to stand outside myself for a while or deeper inside myself and try to understand where... I've gone awry, you know, where, where it is that I've gotten confused, where it is that I'm not living a sustainable life because I'm not, you know, I'm not watering my own roots. I'm not tending yeah. mm-hmm. my own soil, my own garden. Is, is that, does those metaphors seem right to you? Yeah, I think so. I think so that, that I, I think for a lot of us, you know, there's this, it might look just fine to the outside, you know, in fact, even a lot of encouragement to be continuing on a path as it looks to the outside world and how it's working. Yes, it might work out just fine for a lot of people around you. In fact, it might even be threatening for some kind of change, some mm-hmm. kind of shift in, to happen. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I thought I knew you, you know, mm-hmm. or I, I, I d- depend on you to be, to be this person contained in this this book that I know really well, so that that can even be threatening. So, but you know, I think there is there is that moment when you say it's not working for me, and then that next growing edge step. What does that mean? You know, yeah, what does yeah. that mean? Yeah. No, I really resonate with what what you're saying. I'm just I'm sitting here thinking about something I've written about and you and I've talked about a lot, um, which is my three deep dives into depression. Mm-hmm. 
and how it, it really took me three deep dives over a period of time to come to terms with the fact that something wasn't working for me about yes. the way I was living in the world. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's that's like being hit over the head with what I think you would call it the cosmic two by four. <laughs> um, not once, not twice, but three times before I, I kind of look around and say, oh, I guess there's something wrong here, um, which, you know, is a sign of, I think, all kinds of things, way too much ego investment in the way I was, or just a bullheadedness, a, a doggedness, you know, having learned growing up to be one of these people who just keeps putting one foot in front of the other no matter what. But I think finally, I mean, I'm 80 years old now, so I'm not bragging about finally having learned this. I'm a slow <laughs> learner. <laughs> but no. and, and I accept that fact about myself. It's okay to be a slow learner. And I think I'd I think my version of I am enough these days is partly involved in saying I did what I had to do at the time to make it through whatever that moment was about and then take the next step and really to forgive myself for that or to say how could it how could it have been otherwise I did what I needed to do at that time I I did what I knew how to do at that time but I guess the grace is that you keep looking at that journey and you keep learning from it. And I, I remember, Carrie, it was probably 10 years ago, but I remember with some clarity the day I wrote this sentence, um, which is one of those that I kind of live by. Wholeness does not mean perfection. Mm-hmm. Wholeness means embracing your imperfections as an integral part of your life. Um, and as I've said a thousand times, because, and I say, I keep, I'll keep saying it till I die, because there are so many people who suffer from depression. The way I, through depression is embracing the fact that you are that darkness as well as your light. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know anyone who isn't both darkness and light. You know, I'm, I'm glad that not everyone has to go through the suffering of deep depression, although many people do. Um, but embracing that as part of your reality, which which is also, an, maybe courage isn't the right word, maybe humility or becoming humus, you know, becoming more earthy in your understanding of yourself. I mean, you and I both love Kurt Vonnegut, and we often laugh at his line about how what human beings basically are is sitting up mud. And <laughs> he, he, he does a lot of wonderful writing about, you know, I'm so glad I, I met this other sitting up mud <laughs> that we were able to do something together in the mud. But life is muddy and we're muddy. And to embrace that and accept that is somehow is somehow to enter a new arena of clarity. Um, yes. You know, it's a... It, transformation you know clarity and i think there there comes a point of the frame shifts or a a way of seeing things shifts going back to the idea of community that if if this community gets something then the other one must you know lose something instead of this idea of it's not just a piece of pie you know a, a pie that we take pieces out of and there's not enough for enough people but but more of a, an idea of interdependence um 
personally, your story about the shifting of your thought, you know, something was not working for you and what it took to kind of shift that thinking. I was, okay, I I was walking in the woods with my husband this weekend. You know, it was between two rainstorms actually. And we were walking a path in these woods that I feel like I know like the back of my hand. I, I, I love this area and I I know where certain wildflowers comes up, and I, I know where the the grandmother beech tree is. That was a grandmother before my grandmother was born. I I know these places, and there's always this place on the path where I turn around because it looks like you can't go any farther. And I've been doing that for 15 years in this place I love. And I was walking there with my husband, and he's kind of stopped, and he took two or three steps farther and said, you know, I don't think it ends here. And we pulled aside the grass and, and there was this deer trail that we kind of started following. And it took us a long, it was like we, it opened up this door into the woods. It was like Narnia or something, you know, it's mm-hmm. like we're walking along this beautiful path along this, this creek and, and, you know, there was these ravine walls that would go up on the sides and, you know, places where the, a tree had fallen. And so this rain-soaked light would come in. It was beautiful. It was just stunning. And we, we looked at each other. We kept going and we kept going. We, where, where is this? And we actually turned around knowing that there was more we could continue to do. And it was like, mm. it was such a wonderful metaphor. I kept thinking about that, like, for 15 years in this place, I thought I knew like the back of my hand, mm-hmm. you know, there was a way through. There was something more that was stunningly beautiful that I had not imagined yet. And it took someone else to say, I don't think it stops here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it took a, it, it took a partnership, right? It, it took a relationship. It took that sort of s- small form of community that we're both lucky to have in our in our personal lives with our own partners and and that we've we've both uh, learned over the years of our professional lives can can so deeply enrich the the work we do to enter into a partnership where the other person sees things that we don't see the mm. other person points ways that that we would not otherwise go we yeah. we go partly because we're with that other person and then there's something encouraging about doing uh, things, risky things like that or what might seem risky in community rather than trying to go it alone, as, as we were saying earlier, which makes me want to um, turn one more corner in this conversation and talk a bit about why it is that so it's it's often so difficult for so many people, and it certainly was for me at one time in my life, to enter those partnerships that might change the whole dance. Yes, um, as if as if I were going to lose something by partnering, rather than gaining uh, a, a, an immense amount. I was going to lose my autonomy. Yeah, I was I was going to lose the ease of decision making when it. When it's just me deciding which way to go, but I'm also going to lose the chance to find that deer trail, and yeah. to to go into Narnia, right? Um, uh, f- for me, um, 
you know, we've, we've both had a number of creative partnerships. You've worked with other musicians and, and other writers, and I've worked with some wonderful colleagues over the years. But to focus on what's happening right at this moment, this partnership we have around the growing edge has mm -hmm. been enormously growthful for me. Um, it's not, the growing edge isn't just a name, it's something that I've really experienced in partnering with someone whose gifts are quite different from mine and who looks at the world through quite different eyes and who, as, as your husband uh, saw, who sees things that, that I don't see. Um, and and it, 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 I'm, I'm just puzzling over the fact that for so long in my life, all of that seemed somehow threatening to me rather than uh. as enriching as it actually turns out to be and how it is that you know we we make that breakthrough into really open and honest and sharing partnerships with each other that that generate abundance i mean you know when i look back on the solo periods of my career yeah. uh, that's when i feel like there was scarcity. I mean, I was pushing big rocks uphill, mm -hmm. trying to do it all by myself, I guess trying to prove something to somebody. I, who, I have no idea who that was or what I was trying to prove, but it must have been the case that that's what I was doing. So how, does, how, how do we help ourselves? How do we help each other? How do we help more people come into those partnerships, those miniature forms of community that uh, really generate abundance and and embody abundance? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. You know, I should say too, just side note on uh, that story about my husband and I in the woods, it was the weekend of our 25th anniversary. And so uh, the, 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 the other kind of wonderful metaphor there was, you know, you, there are people in your life you think you know, like a well-read book. And then you find that there's all these new chapters to read. And I think, you know, being willing to be in a, a long-term relationship, whether as a creative colleague or uh, as a loving partner, you know, it's, you know, there's something really uh, amazing that can happen. You know, that, that, oh my gosh, there's all these new chapters. And I didn't, I didn't know that yet. Um, so, so, you know, there was that, that, that piece of it too, but kind of getting back to your, your question, you know, that it's, I, I think there's a sense of risk, you know, and I'm not sure what that's about, you know, that, that, that sense of risk that if I give myself to this collaboration, if I give up control of it all myself, you know, it's like, cause there's, there's a certain sense of control. If I do it myself, just, I'll just do it myself. I can do it faster, you know? Well, not necessarily, you know, you might be able actually to do it faster, but you might not be able to do it as creatively or, or better, you know? Um, this idea of control, this idea of the risk of being vulnerable. As a musician, I started out as a solo musician. I would play guitar and sing. I and that's kind of how I started. But I, I have to say that what has really pushed me to grow more than any other thing as a musician is collaborating with other musicians, working with other musicians, the things that I learned from 
being in relationship, to be in creative collaboration. You know, things that I would have never thought of myself. It's it's really pushed me. Um, and sometimes it's difficult. I have a friend who says who says that you know being in a band is like being in a dysfunctional family with instruments. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and and you know, I I know what they mean by that. You know, I I know what they mean by that. But also, there's just this this, you know, you bring all these people together with gifts and interesting talents, and um and a way of looking at music that may be similar to you, but also different than you, and it pushes you. It pushes pushes me. You know, every single album I make, I have no intention of making the same one twice. I just have no interest in that. You know, if I bring new folks in, if I bring new ideas in, how much more full the life, you know, the my life in music is, how much more full and interesting the music is for for me. Um and I learn something. I always learn something. So yeah, I don't know. This idea of I wasn't fully in control when I was a solo player, you know, it was just me and my guitar. But giving that up, you know, opening up to what others could bring. It was kind of scary. I kind of knew what I did, you know, it's like, this is what I do, you know, but it did, it pushed me, it asked me, you know, Yeah, it's really, it's, it's so, it's so interesting that on the other side, on, you know, on the far side of that decision or on the front, front end of that decision to partner, you feel like you're risking something. You feel like you may lose something. On the other side of having made that decision, it feels like abundance. You, you, you realize, oh, new things are are being evoked in me. This other person is bringing new gifts into my life. I'm so glad I did this. Why did I ever hesitate? Um, I, I expect there are a lot of things in life like that where on the front end it feels risky, but once you've you know, passed through the fire, as it were. You, you're glad that you uh, that you're there, and you're realizing all the benefits. You know, as as you as you were talking, Carrie, I uh, it came quickly to mind that you have a song called "Everything We mm. Need," oh, yeah. which is which is really about um, everything we need is here. Uh, that line that that you and I love from a Wendell Berry poem called "The Wild Geese." Uh, everything we need is here. It's not out there somewhere. It's right here. And where is it? It's within us and it's between us. And, you know, because one of the things I've learned in our partnership is how messages get so beautifully delivered in music that aren't hmm. easily delivered in just prosaic words. Could you could you sing that song? Oh, sure. I'd love to. Yeah. And yeah, it was written for our What We Need Is Here Um Hope, Hard Times, and Human Possibility, Spoken Word and Music program. So, yeah, let me get my guitar. Saw a woman on the street I thought it was my mother It caught my breath, but when she turned I could see it was enough A brief encounter's tricks of life How I wish for things with all my might 
But birds keep gathering for flight But we'll return when the time is right Today I sense that all's near evermore and soon to be Within us and between us is Everything we need Press my palm tree after tree to feel the weight of time. The light came down in silver threads, all mixed with rain and pine. And now I don't know, never will. What rises in the evening still? How empty cups keep getting filled How healing comes and hope rebuilds Today I sense that all's near evermore and soon to be Within us and between us is Ooh, everything we need Thank you, Carrie. I, I do love that song, and I do deeply believe that within us and between us is everything we need. And I think one of the things that we're trying to say about partnerships or about these small forms of community is that what's within us gets evoked by other people in respectful relationships where we honor each other's gifts and invite them onto the table. Um, I've learned so much through partnerships, including this one, about what's within me that I never would have known otherwise. And that's 
to me, that's abundance. That's what abundance means. It, it means, you know, learning that all of us together are smarter, more resourceful, mm-hmm. more generous, yeah. uh, more kind, uh, more of everything than any one of us alone can possibly be. And the community not only generates abundance, as you said earlier, it is abundance. And and I think this whole idea of the, of the growing edge, as we cl- start to close out one more growing edge podcast here, this whole idea of the growing edge is rooted in abundance. And if you, if you go back and look at the Howard Thurman quote uh, from which we took the phrase, the growing edge, he's really saying in times of profound scarcity and loss, in, in times of death and destruction, look well to the growing edge, says Howard Thurman. Yeah. And it's wise advice, but it's advice that can only come from a person like Thurman who knows that even in the hardest of hard times, there's an abundance and a, a source of abundance that might get covered over for a while or closed off for a while, but that is always going to burst forth if you invite it into being and pay attention to it and go with that creative flow. And I find those very encouraging words for myself personally and for us in our times. Thank you for your kind words earlier. I, a little side note here that, yes, you know, there's so much abundance and fullness in community. And also, living in community, working in community, you will probably also run into exactly the person that is, makes it difficult for you. <laughs> Have you ever experienced that? You know, it's like, oh, this person is here in this situation because I have something to learn from working with someone that's a little difficult for me to work with. You know, Absolutely. they have their own yeah. gifts, they have their place, and and uh, but you know, they may not be as easy for me to work with as as other people. You know, just yep. So that yep. person will always be in community with you. <laughs> and yep. and that's another and that and that's another really important growing edge. I just I don't want to say it's all sweetness and light. That sometimes you got to work at it, and then you'll learn something. I've learned something surprising from having to work at it. You know, even in the best of partnerships, even in the best of marriages, there's always that. <laughs> yeah, there's always that struggle that comes up, and that. If we can hang with it and if we can learn from it, we become larger people, yeah. even even from that which breaks our hearts, um, which, as we've discussed before, can break our hearts open rather than breaking them apart. So absolutely, that's 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 part of the deal. So when you walk this path. So my my takeaway, you know, when I'm walking away from this conversation with. You know, is this idea that, um, you know, living into this concept of the growing edge, the concept of abundance, of the fullness of life, you know, it operates on a, on a, a larger level, on a community level. It also operates uh, very directly from a personal level of how we choose to enter into this life of fullness that it takes risk, it takes sometimes perseverance, it takes being willing to be interdependent, it, it takes um, 
being willing to let go of being so tightly controlled. It takes kind of being kind, not just to everyone else, but to yourself. What I'm taking away is this idea of abundance and living into the fullness of life. It's full of complexities and it's expanding. It's always expanding and expansive. That path ended for me. It was The path was contained. And then through this idea of interdependence, of collaboration, you know, that place that I thought was so contained, a path that it ended was actually expanding and expanding further than I ever expected. How about you? Well, this gives me a, a chance to model one more value of a partnership. All I need to do is to say what she said. (laughs) (laughs) And that makes my job, that's a true statement, and it makes my job really, really easy. So thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you. You've been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer and Parker Palmer. Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out our next episode. And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation, too. You'll find our question of the month there and an opportunity to respond to it in your own words. And now we have a favor to ask. If you like today's show, Rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and bring more voices into this conversation. All the music you heard on today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer. And much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change. And wild appreciation to Allison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, production, and because I have learned so much from her in this collaboration.